Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the first 2021 episode of Clubhouse Talk. Happy New Year, Joe. Happy New Year, Morrison. What an introduction there. <laughs> uh, new Year, new podcast. Not really. Same old podcast, same, same old people, your favorites, Kylie and Joe, back at it again. Yep. Yep. Good, good start to the new year with um, me getting my predictions right in the college football playoff. So I'll pat myself on the back. I will um, give you some credit. You were right about, about the games. The Clemson-Ohio State game was the less competitive of the two games. <laughs> Just not the way you thought. Hey, I'll take it. I will take that. You, you <laughs> didn't ask me to say which way it was going to be competitive. Yeah. I mean, now, I guess the, the garbage time Notre Dame touchdown brought it in, but Ohio State pretty much was on Clemson all four quarters. I mean, they, they exchanged blows in the, the first quarter, but after that it was – the Justin Field show. I know it was, uh, it's pretty, pretty crazy of, um, if you go back and you look at it, it really came down to the second quarter. Um, cause Ohio state made three stops in the second quarter and Clemson couldn't, and they lost by 21. There's your, there's your three stops right there. Uh, it, it really seemed like Clemson just had no answers the entire night. No, they were getting, beat deep and then they couldn't stop and Trey Sermon had another incredible game which I think is what opened up so many possibilities in the past game but they absolutely blew the top off that Clemson defense and Fields was making throws that I haven't seen him make in his college career just I've never seen them consistently air the ball out that deep I mean 20 yards down the field maybe 30 but he was throwing passes 50 yards in the air yeah, that's uh, he was he was on top of his game. Uh, I, I think he really took it personal of all the talk going into the game about Trevor's the clear number one and and how how great Trevor is. And hey, those guys they grew up together of you know probably an hour an hour away from each other in Atlanta playing high school football. I don't know if they actually ever went up against each other, but sure as heck both knew who each other were, same class and. Um, he probably took it personal that he wasn't getting any attention at all. And Trevor was getting everything and boy, did he kind of show him up? Yeah. And he, uh, he was saying how he'd watched that rerun from the 2019 college football playoff when they lost to Clemson. He said he must've watched it over a hundred times. And I know that at the Ohio state um, practice facility since spring, they had the scoreboard up on all the TVs in the practice facility of that Clemson Ohio state game. So that was an extremely motivated team. And then they went out there and took it to them. I mean, hats off. They had a, a phenomenal, phenomenal game plan where they just absolutely took it to their defense. And then surprisingly, I mean, I, I predicted a shootout, which to an extent it was, but they actually held Clemson's offense in check better than probably anybody has in the past two years. Yeah. I, I mean, I know, I know they're missing a couple pieces on offense just from season injuries, but yeah, they were for the most part shut down as about as well as I think you can do um, in the college game nowadays to, to a team like that. And I mean, there's no doubt that there were a couple things going against Clemson's way of not having their offensive coordinator. I definitely think had an mm -hmm. impact. Um, I don't think there's any way that you can get around it. Not, you know, the person who's calling your plays not being in there is, is a huge deal. Um, there's no way around it of just those people know 
right or the right times to pull out which play and someone else is going to think a different thing if someone else is calling plays. So there's that. And then the game no doubt changed when, uh, when Clemson's linebacker got, got taken out for targeting on that hit on fields. Not only is that going to linger into this game for fields, but it completely changed. I think the attitude in that game at that moment, um, because then Ohio State got the penalty, took it down the field, scored a touchdown, and after that, it really was never the same. Yeah, and it, it was weird. The announcers were saying it. It was eerily similar to what happened in, I mean, just the reverse of the year before when Sean Wade blitzed Trevor Lawrence and got ejected for targeting. Clemson took, down, took the ball down the field and scored and basically changed the tide of that game too. So it was, it was just weird to see that. And, you know, my understanding – there's no doubt that the call was a little borderline from where he got hit, but my understanding is it was a good call from what people have been saying. He led with the crown. Um, but it's, it's one of those plays where it's hard for a linebacker not to hit like that. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, what do you want him to do? Yeah. So I, I mean, if I you, do understand the criticism. But if you watch a replay, it's weird because, Going like a frame by frame going up into it, Fields is kind of standing straight up, and it looks like if the linebacker comes in straight up, then it's going to be helmet to helmet that way. So he kind of ducks his head so that he doesn't get that way, and then Fields ends up uh, kind of crouching down a little bit into the hit. I think by by rule, by definition, that is a hundred percent targeting. But I think the fact that that meets the definition shows that we need to update the definition of targeting that or there needs to be a way to have almost like a targeting one a targeting two system where one is a, a targeting one is the 15 yard penalty but it's a hit without you know egregious malice like you you don't have intent to to hurt somebody and then and a, a targeting two can be one that all right that's clear the guy was spearheading um, go ahead and kick him out of the game for that. But there's just too many times now where these top players are getting ejected from games and it's, it's changing everything. I mean, that guy that they, I forget his name, but I mean, he's basically like a defensive coordinator out there on the field for Clemson. He helps get everybody lined up. He is their leader on defense and losing him absolutely changed everything. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, there, there's no doubt that he wasn't, he wasn't trying to injure fields in my opinion. He was just trying to make a good hard hit on the quarterback who once, you know, they take off running, they lose their pocket privilege basically. So, you know, I don't think it was a dirty hit. I think it's unfortunate that it happened, but I mean, he's this, the same guy who got ejected in the national title game last year against LSU, which that was a dirty hit that he put on Burrow. Oh yeah. Yeah call for targeting last year, but I don't think his, he had malicious intentions at all. It's just kind of a unfortunate matter of it that he drops his head when he tackles and he happened to square him up right on the rib cage. Yeah. Well, we'll see it. I, like I said, I just hope that um, I think this, it seems like this was a pretty, just the reaction of it so quickly on social media and even just in multiple group chats that I'm in, um, it was almost immediate of like kind of a, which side are, which side are you on and what's your stance on this? But it really, they just absolutely uh, kind of dug their feet in the ground. And I'm curious to see which, or if there is anything that changes going forward um, with the rule. I, I hope there is because 
I think it can be updated to improve it. I'm all for player safety, but I just think that kicking the players out in, in certain circumstances where there's just nothing they can do because you're going at such a fast speed, there's got to be a way to prevent kicking them out of the game for that. Yeah, they've got to have some sort of kind of how like basketball has like the flagrant one and flagrant two. Um, they're, they got to have a better way of judging it because, you know, a guy, I mean, the the intention of the penalty, if I'm not mistaken, was to like prevent concussions and Justin Fields wasn't at risk of a concussion there at all. I mean, the, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think if you go by the rule, then yes, it's a target and call, but I don't know if that rule is necessarily fair to defensive players because they have to basically stop what they're doing in a very instinctual sport and say, okay, I need to hit this tackle box to my face up while you're trying to stop a very elusive player. I mean, not even if it's Justin Fields, but just any receiver in general or any running back, like you, you just don't have time to sit there and try to make the perfect form tackle every play. Yeah. I mean, it's almost a little bit two faced of thinking about how many times you see running backs, you know, lower their shoulder and kind of duck down when they're trying to run over to defender. And if you start looking at it that way, you can you can start seeing where they're leading with their helmet too. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they need to be called for targeting that situation, but it's just there there just seems to be too many holes in it at this point. So hopefully hopefully that's something that gets looked at in the offseason, which college football has been doing a pretty good job, I think, the last few years of of looking at um, looking at rules and stuff and changing. So it seems like this might be the the straw that broke the camel's back and, and get that ball rolling. Yeah, maybe, but we'll see. We can, uh, I was going to say, why don't we uh, actually do a little bit of backtrack before we get into the games and notes. I know we talked about the, the semifinals there for a little bit, but let's, let's backtrack a little bit to last week. I know we had a long podcast with Nick and Matt. Once again, we're, we're thankful that they got to come on and join us, but we didn't get a chance to move into any of the baseball news. And there were actually a couple of really large, large trades in uh, MLB last week. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the arms race has begun. I mean, this was like a Soviet era <laughs> sprint. Um, but yeah, you Darvish and Blake Snell getting moved uh, to the Padres. So that's, that's big. They're going all in. I mean, they're, they said, Hey, we might not have the offense that you do LA, but they're just going to say, screw it. We're just going to, we're just going to throw the best pitchers at you and try and win it that way. I mean, when, I guess when you're in the same division as the defending world series champs who really have most of their roster intact, you got, you got to improve. Yeah. And you know, baseball is, we've seen like football kind of make the transition where offense can beat defense. Now we've touched on that. A little bit, but baseball will always be a sport where good pitching beats good hitting every time. A hundred percent. And, you know, that's a team that they have good hitting. I would say, you know, they're in the upper echelon of the league. But when you add those two guys to your rotation and you can make the argument that Darvish isn't, you know, he might be a little bit overhyped, but make no mistake. The guy's a phenomenal pitcher. He finished what second, third in the NL Cy Young this year. Yeah. But he, he's had some inconsistencies, but nonetheless, I mean, the guys, you're, every team in the MLB would add him into their rotation, no questions asked. Yeah. And then Blake Snell's Cy Young contender, too. And so in his prime. Added, in his prime. So you just added two of the best peach pieces available in the MLB to your rotation. And that division is going to be something else. Yeah. I, I'm still shocked on the Blake Snell trade. Um, 
I saw it was about I guess it was nearing the Thanksgiving timeline. Um, there are some rumors going out there that the Rays were shopping Blake Snell. I mean, obviously, this all goes back to the World Series game six, um, pulling Blake Snell early. And and they go on to lose that game when Blake Snell was pitching a, a career game on a huge stage. And so obviously there was some tension between him and uh, I think it's Kevin Cash as our manager uh, between them after that decision. And I guess it was starting to uh, become a problem right around Thanksgiving. And so the Rays were saying that they were shopping around, listening to offers on Blake Snell. And I kind of rubbed it off as well. They're probably just, you know, seeing what's out there. They're not actually going to move them. And I think a lot of teams honestly felt that way, but uh, I guess the Padres and that must have had some serious, serious talks. The, the timing of the trade really surprises me in the sense that they moved them before Trevor Bauer has signed anywhere, because I would have think that the market would have been even higher and better for Snell if they had waited for Bauer, because you have all the teams that want to sign Bauer and you get all those teams in automatically. And they're a little bit desperate now that they don't get Bauer. So you probably could have gotten more. I mean, they got it. King's ransom for him. I think they got three of their top 10 prospects, two great pitchers, um, a catching prospect, which I never really put much stock into catching prospects myself. Um, I, I just think catchers develop really late, uh, later into their twenties, thirties is when catchers really start to show their primes. So asking for young catchers, it doesn't really help me much or my opinion, but yeah, it's a pretty, the timing of it, I think is just what shocked me the most. Yeah, it was almost like they had like this urgency to ship him based on the timeline and, and kind of what they got surprised me too because like they got good players, but it wasn't like – I mean, the Padres won that trade in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, they they didn't have to give up any major league talent for him. How, how right. does that happen? How do you buy – how do you get a Cy Young in his prime, which by the way, he's still under control for the next three years – and he's making the same amount of money the Braves just signed Drew Smiley for. Uh, I mean, it is a no-brainer that you want him on your team. And they didn't give up. I, if I was a Rays fan, I, I would. I, I don't know what I would what I would think because clearly, to me, the Rays don't care about winning. They like they would be happy to win, but I think it's clear that they don't care to win. You go to the World Series, you're in Game Six. And you have Charlie Morton, which you don't sign because of $2 million. You have Blake Snell, who is your ace, and you just go ahead and throw him away for basically nothing and just go ahead and stock up on the, on the prospects again and, and go through the whole rebuild. I mean, the Rays went from the top team in the AL East to they're probably going to finish fourth in division now. Yeah, I mean, they, I think they outplayed their potential last year, but they were still going to be – you know, a playoff team with the pieces they had. I mean, they kind of had the money ball scenario going almost a little bit. I mean, it, yeah, I can't remember the exact figure, but it was like the whole Rays roster was worth like whose contract was it? Was it Kershaw's contract or something like that? Yeah. Uh, Kershaw was, and Mookie Betts's contracts together was basically the same amount of money as the entire payroll for the Rays. I think it was like $5 million less than their whole team payroll. And they were two games away from beating them. And then they're like, you know what? We're going to get rid of two of the best players on our roster, take some prospects, and hope they develop five years down the road. So somebody <laughs> in their front office must have said, you know what? 
we don't have enough to co- make continued success with this team. So let's unload and try to get what we can. For yeah. Hey, I'm not going to say that it doesn't work because, hey, the Rays have gotten there twice in 08, and, but then it takes them 13 years to get back. So, I mean, if I was a Rays fan, I'd say, all right, look for 20, 2035. You might be back in the World Series. I, I mean, but that's what they're doing. They're basically like, all right, well, we'll be happy if we win, but they're not trying to win. You can't convince me that the Rays are trying to win with the moves that they're doing. Yeah, I, I don't know what the logic is, honestly. I, I mean, I was shocked. But somebody in their front office knows what they do because their job rel- or knows what they're doing because their job depends on it. But if it was me, I would I would have signed re-signed Morton and I would have not made that trade, or I would have made that trade and gotten at least major league talent. Yeah, in return. I, like I said, just the timing of it was weird. I mean, hey, hats off to hats off to the Padres for for snacking up on that. And then, like we said, twenty four hours later, they go out and they they pull you Darvish, who I knew. Knew the Cubs were seriously shopping Darvish. They have some payroll issues there. Um, they're trying to get under the uh, the luxury tax, and um, and so I knew the Cubs were seriously considering that. They're, I don't think the Cubs are going to blow everything up, but they're definitely looking to try and move some of that core that they've had there for the last few years. Just guys coming up on paychecks that they can't, frankly, afford. Um, but the that trade, I thought the Cubs got absolutely. Or I think they got killed on. If you look at the, if you look at the people that they got, I mean, they basically. Yeah, I was listening to a, a radio show and they compared the prospects that the Cubs got to basically lottery tickets. They they said, you know, they're all these guys that have big power, um, but in big in big tool guys, but it, it's their approach that they don't know about. I mean, it's it's like going down. They described just going down to the gas station, buying, you know, three Powerball tickets and you're hoping one of them hits like they're they're not all going to make it to the MLB. I can promise you that they're just hoping, I guess, one of them does. But once again, the Cubs are in a position to win and compete now. And why aren't they trying to get MLB talent back? They've got a lot of bad contracts. They just need to unload somebody. I mean, they, they got the massive Bryant contract, too, that they, they've been kind of tentatively shopping around for a while. Yeah. And obviously they non-tendered Schwarber to get him out of there and get some money off the books there. I mean, they've got their, they've, they've they got just kind of, money problems, but they were kind of the team, you know, sort of what the Padres are looking like they're shifting to where they really sold out for a couple of years to win one. Yeah. And they and, did. And I they mean, did. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I guarantee you like going back to the whole trading, the whole idea of, you know, don't trade prospects. Um, you know, the Cubs are a perfect example of that. The Cubs traded Glaber Torres to get a role as Chapman for, for one year for a rental, and they won their World Series. I guarantee you that any person or any Cubs fan, if you ask them, they will want or they will they will take that trade and they're okay with it. They're okay with Glaber being the Yankees because they have their World Series ring. Yeah. No, definitely. And I mean, if it works, it's great, but if it doesn't, you know, it's a big gamble to take because as a Braves fan, I, I wanted us to ship away. I've wanted us to ship away our prospects for a long, long time to get back into contention. And then you know, the laboring painstaking process of watching us develop and grow these guys is finally, we're seeing the fruits of the labor. So there, there's two ways to do it. You trade the good prospects that you have and hope that you hit in a one to three year window, 
or you hold on to your guys, try to develop them, and give yourself five to ten years of success. You want to know and, what my one of my favorite lines is? Parades are cool, or prospects are cool. Parades are cooler. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's as simple as that. If you at some point to win, you've got to take chances. And so the, that's what the Padres are doing right now. They're, they're going all out. And I think it's, it's really funny because it's making, it's making the Dodgers turn heads. They've, uh, they made a small trade um, with Philadelphia to get a reliever. Um, and then I think that it's going to make, it's definitely going to make them try and answer with something. And then it wouldn't surprise me if it makes the Braves try and answer because the Braves are kind of the first one that came out and did it of, you know, they made they made that those moves to to jump up to probably where the Dodgers were in level or in, in terms mm-hmm. of talent. And then now the Padres have done their jump up to, I would think, pretty comparable to the Braves and Dodgers. And now so it's, it's just going to become an arms race, like you said, of, you know, the Braves did this with the Nationals two years ago at the deadline uh, on the last day. It was basically they were just going back and forth on bullpen pieces. And so this is this is the exciting part. This is what everyone likes to see. And. Yeah. what I wish the whole uh, off season would be like, but sadly it was just a nice little like two day flurry right there. And the best part is we'll hopefully see 162 games to of it this year. Oh gosh. <laughs> I am so, you know, I don't, I know there's a lot of reports of the season getting possibly getting pushed back, what have you, but as of right now, everything's on schedule, which means in about a, a little over a month and, about a month and 10 days. It's around Valentine's day. Normally players start pitchers start reporting down to to spring training. So give it a, give it about a month, month and a half. And we should start having some, some good stuff to talk about player workouts and everything else. Yep. I mean, that, that division is going to be unreal between Dodgers and Padres. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I might have to stay up for a lot of of West coast baseball games this year. Yeah. That's going to be great. Um, but yeah, so now that we've kind of recapped some past stuff, let's move on. Uh, we're actually going to jump over to NFL first. While we're recording this, the Heisman Trophy ceremony is going on tonight. So we're uh, we're banking on getting through this, and and hopefully the Heisman will be announced before the end of this podcast for you guys, so we can get a little talking at the end of it. So let's move on over to the NFL and and talk about the playoff picture for for this weekend. Now that we have all of our all of our seeds lined up. Yeah, so uh, I was very, very happy this week with the the Packers clinching the one seed, um, getting getting that bye, getting the uh, the path of the NFC through Lambeau, which was kind of the uh, the big up in the air. Took them a little while to to put the Bears out, but they hung around. Oh, but when they did, they put a flurry on them. <laughs> but uh, this this wild card slate is going to be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm so excited. I I'd almost. Uh... Obviously, I knew that it was extended playoffs, but I guess I kind of didn't realize what it was going to end up doing to the to the TV schedule and stuff. I mean, you know, we're all so used to having two games Saturday, two games Sunday. Now you're looking at three. You've got a 12 or here in Nashville and Central time. I mean, I've got a 12, 12, four and seven, I think, are the times or 12, four and eight. I mean, yeah, you can park yourself in front of the couch and not leave until almost midnight. And yeah, it's a full day. Of, it's your regular Sunday of NFL football, except you're just not flipping games. I mean, but you've got playoff football all day long, Saturday and Sunday. And boy, it's I think it's going to be some really, really good games. Yeah, I mean, I guess the best way to go about this would just be to go from game at a time from the Saturday at 
you know, one o'clock Eastern, 12 year time, but yeah, and just go down the list. I mean, starting with the Bills Colts, um, I think the uh, the Bills are a dangerous team in the AFC. Um, but I think there's the always odd- the question of the young quarterback. So, and then you're going against a guy who's one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the NFL, hasn't had a great playoff record, but in Phillip Rivers. And then you got a deep, you know, pretty solid all around Colts team against the Bills. So I think that's going to be a good game. I still think the Bills win and probably a, you know, a seven point game. But they, uh, the Colts have every chance to beat them. I mean, if they can get Josh Allen a little bit off their game and lock up Stephon Diggs, force the Bills to do something with their run game, which hasn't been great all year, they could win that game for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, that I think the Bills are without a doubt the hottest team coming into the playoffs. Um, I don't think them and the Packers are kind of neck and neck on it. I think the Bills are hotter than the Packers personally. Um, but obviously they're on competing sides, so that part of the debate doesn't really matter. Um, so the Bills are so happy to be back in the playoffs. They get a home playoff game. They're going to get fans in for the first time this year. Uh, and they get to go up against Philip Rivers, who's got to go out and play in the cold. And luckily, they do have a great rushing attack. Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor's been been awesome for him this year. And I think that's a good, good recipe for success if they have the ability to run the ball against them and kind of keep the ball out of Josh Allen's hands. But the thing is, Josh Allen has just been torching people the last three, four weeks. I mean, the, the Bills have covered in eight straight games um to their vegas lines that's ridiculous i mean that you you can't get any better than that um i'm not saying ride the bills but uh you know take take that uh, little, take that spark notion one i mean it's a six and a half point line is what i'm seeing most places so it's gonna be a that that should be a really good one i think the bills come out of that probably with a 10, 10 point game. I've mentioned something like that of a fourth quarter game. Bills score late, kind of put it out of reach type game. Um, I, I'm that one's really excited for. And then you move into the second game of the afternoon, which is the, the NFC West matchup of Seahawks and Rams out in Seattle. I got my horse. I got the Seahawks. I think they're going to get it done. I mean, the the Rams look awesome. I mean, they got probably the best defensive player in the league. They were pretty hot until they dropped that game to the Jets. And then, you know, I was honestly surprised they beat the Cardinals this past weekend. With the, yeah, they were a disappointment of, uh, you know, playing a backup quarterback and you you still can't win to get in. And the Cardinals really, really flundered, uh, yeah. flundered down the stretch there. But Yeah, they did. But um, I think the Seahawks are just going to be too much for them to handle. I think you know, the experience of Russell Wilson, the coaching of Pete Carroll, and then the, the other offensive weapons that Seattle has. Uh, they do have a secondary that can be beatable other than, you know, Jamal Adams, but I just don't know if Jared Goff's going to be able to put up enough points. Well, the first question is, is Goff going to play? I mean, he's still coming off that thumb injury. Um, I, I can tell you right now, there is almost no chance in the world if Goff doesn't play that the Rams can win that game. Um, yeah, I mean, if he doesn't play, it, it's pretty cut and dry. Seattle's why I agree. Yeah, and but, I mean, I think if he plays, he's got a chance. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a good hard fought game. They almost always are. They tend to be defensive games. Seattle Seattle's just been odd in the last. 
it seems like they've been really playing to the level of their opponent. They haven't blown people out, but they're just they're dinking along. They're winning games. I mean, they they hung around with the 49ers all week or all, all game. And then at the very end, they just did enough to to come out in the last you know quarter and a half and put it to them and, and walk away with the win. But it just kind of seems like that's been their measure of success. Russell Wilson has not lost a playoff game at home. Pete Carroll hasn't lost a playoff game at home. Um, the Seahawks haven't lost one in 11 years at home. So it's or 11, the last 11 times they've won at home. So, yeah, I mean, I think in all those kind of ways, it's pointing to where I also think is, I think the Seahawks are going to win in most books. I see it it's at about a four point line uh, for this weekend, which it, I think is really, really accurate there. It's going to be a close game, but like I said, I got Seahawks pulling it out. Yeah. I, I just think, um, I think the uh, the Russell Wilson Pete Carroll combo is going to prevail in the end. I mean, nothing away from Sean McVay, great coach, but I think if you're comparing Jared Goff if he plays to uh, Russell Wilson, it's pretty. I wouldn't clear. be surprised if we see TK have a good game. It's been a while since he had a breakout game, and that man shows up in prime time. And it would not surprise me if he did it again this week. Yeah, I mean, even without him, they got so many weapons. They got. Yeah, lock uh, it. Lock it more. Uh, Chris Carson, if he gets going. So they got they got plenty of offensive weapons. But then, then you can move on to the the lovely nightcap, which this will be a hopefully it'll be a good game. Um and we're actually we'll we'll touch base on the, the Eagles game while we talk about this, but the Washington football team got in because of they beat the Eagles in week seventeen. So before we dive into the I think the matchup, let's talk a little bit about that, uh, that game of clearly what happened there at the end. The, it's in the fourth quarter. It's a three point mm-hmm. Washington football t- lead. And Doug Peterson pulls hurts for their third string quarterback, Nate Sudfield, who has been there since 2017. I don't think he'd taken a snap and Sudfield looked terrible. He comes in, throws a pick on his first pass. Um, he fumbles a snap on the next drive. I, I mean, they had no offense once he was in. So it was, it was as clear as day as they were forfeiting the game. But the, what what the matter at hand is the problem is that if the Eagles win, the Giants get into the playoffs. So this game had legitimate playoff implications of, you know, watching had to win to get in. And if they lose, then another team gets in and the Eagles basically just handed them the playoffs. Yeah, they intentionally blew that game for sure. I mean, yeah. there's, there's no way around it. It's as clear as when the Jets blitzed nine on a, you know, at the end of the game on the Raiders. I mean, it's just as clear as day. You yeah. can't, there's no way around it. But I, I think what just is so bad is that they didn't announce. If they had said, like, the Chiefs, did, it the Chiefs where they rested everybody and they said, hey, these guys aren't playing, or like the, the Steelers said that they were resting people. If you come out and you say that, I have no problem with it. It is what it is. But it's just the fact that you played the game competitive for three quarters, and then you you decide, actually, you know what? We're going we're gonna to make sure we get the draft pick. I mean, hey, they moved up three spots in the draft, so I don't blame them for it. But it's just it, the whole idea of it is what made me mad is the, how long they waited to make that decision. Yeah, I mean, it's – it's crazy to me that they play the three, like you said, they play the three quarters and then do it. And there's reports of like defensive players being held back, like trying to get after Doug Peterson. Um, I mean, there's little snippets of like Jalen Hurts shaking his head on the sideline saying, you know, this isn't right, stuff like that. So 
it, it appeared to be a very coaching based decision. And you kind of kept the players in the dark that we're going to blow this game. And Jalen didn't have a very good game up to that, but he at least gave your team a chance to win. And I mean, there's, it's an indefensible argument that you pulled Jalen Hurts for your third quarter or third string QB when you're still in the game. I mean, it's, it's nonsense. It's a disgrace. To they might as well put Eagles. Greg Ward back there. He was, hey, he looked good on his one pass attempt in the game. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's a disgrace to the Eagles franchise and it's a disgrace to the competitive nature of professional sports. Oh, agreed. Uh, like I, mean, I said, do it earlier in the week. I have no problem if you call it, do it on Monday. Do it on Tuesday. Say you're not playing people. It is what it is. But don't yeah. don't throw it in the fourth quarter. And it's a shame for Giants fans because they played that was such a good game between the Cowboys and the Giants. Like back and forth all game. You know, the Cowboys had a chance to come back and win it at the end, and the Giants defense stood tall. They end up winning. They have a chance to get into the playoffs and then Yeah, hey, the both Eagles those teams came out and tried. Yeah. I mean they had a that was a must win for both of those teams. So that that's a little bit different scenario. The Eagles were already out of it, but still, I still don't like it. I don't like the, the intentionally throwing games midway through the game. I mean, what kind of nonsense is that? Yeah, um, it's, I, there's no, there's no good way to defend it. It was a terrible look for them. And I feel bad for the fans because clearly that's not what they want. I mean, I'm sure they are okay with the pick, but no Eagles fan wants to throw that game. No Eagles fans are some of the most dedicated fans in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, they don't care if it's the only win they have the season. And you know, Doug Peterson. I don't know if the decision came from him or higher ups, but he that game was definitely thrown. And I I'd, I'd like to see him get pressed a little bit harder on that because that was that was ba- a bad look for the sport. The the Eagles have their front office and organization structures going to have a lot of questions this off season. Answering that, answering the what they're going to do with Carson Wentz now wants a trade um, to get out of there. If they're going to move them, not move them. I mean, they're, it's a mess. It's we've said it for a it while. Is. It's a mess. And it's just, it's becoming even more of a dumpster fire for them. Yeah. It's, it's not good, but so back we to could, the game. That's yeah, actually the game. Be played competitively. Um, <laughs> Hopefully Bucks and Washington, you know, from the clear standpoint, it looks like this, this is the Bucks game, but. I think if Alex Smith is 100%, Washington will still have a chance to win this game. You know, they do have a really good pass rush where they could potentially get Tom Brady, you know, uncomfortable, maybe force a couple turnovers like they've done in the last few weeks. So I, there's potential for Washington to beat the Bucks. I think it's unlikely. I think, you know, playoff experience with Tom Brady prevails because he's got more than anybody in the league, I'm pretty sure. Um, definitely has more rings. So, <laughs> you know, I, th- I think if um, and if Washington fails to get to him early and often, I think it, the Bucks will walk away with that. I, I actually do not know what the status for Mike Evans is for this week. But uh, yeah, I know he hurt a, his knee, but that that's a that's yeah. a big piece for their offense. Um, that could be a big piece, but I I suspect the Buccaneers win that game by probably a t- ten point margin. Well, Bruce Arians offered a promising update on Mike Evans' injury two days ago, so we'll see. Um, but I keep trying to talk myself into a way of thinking that Washington has a chance. I mean, I know talking today about rotating two quarterbacks to try and help Alex Smith stay you know, more on his feet, help him stay healthier. Um, 
he's clearly not a hundred percent. I mean, you could see that on Sunday mm-hmm. um, playing. He's, he can't roll out of the pocket. If he can, if you can let him stand in the pocket and throw the ball, he'll do do just fine. But if he starts having to move, then he's screwed. But at the same time, I mean, Washington is, I think, the second best probably pass rusher in the league behind Aaron Donald with um, Chase Young, and or, I mean, Joey Bosa is also there. But I, late in the year. Yeah, so I mean, Chase Young has been great, and he said he wants Tom Brady, and I think that's going to be a really fun matchup to watch because Brady is just as you know flat-footed as anybody right now um, at his age, and he already wasn't athletic to begin with. So if you, it's been a proven thing. If you can get Brady, you know, flustered, start getting to him, start sacking him, he can uh, start making some mistakes. Washington's had some some defensive touchdowns. I mean, I think that's what it's going to take for them to win this game is, is get a, get a sack fumble touchdown, get a pick six. It's, it's going to take something of that nature. It's doable. Um, but that's, I think that's their formula for success. And it's going to be a close, you know, a, probably a pretty low. If Washington wins, there'll be a low scoring game, a 17, 14, 17, 21. Yeah. yeah if, Washington can't beat them in the shootout. No, I don't think Washington can put up one 20 points. So, I think that's about their their cap. If well, if uh, Tampa Bay gets over that, then you can pretty well get that game over. I will say, nice little fun fact: I have tidbits for almost everything tonight. Um, <laughs> the last, this is the third time a seven and nine team has won has gotten into the playoffs, and the last two times they won. Hmm. Now, Who were the last two? Uh, Seattle and. Ooh, who was it? I think it was the Colts before them. Um, see if I can pull that stat up real fast. But I, yeah, that's a, it, it, you know, playoff home playoff games used to mean a lot more. Um, you know, when you had fans, they're not exactly the same. But sorry, it was the Panthers. The Panthers in 2014 and the Seahawks in 2010 were the were the two, and they won their wild card games. So, but it is still home game. We'll see what happens. Hopefully that's, like I said, hopefully it's a good game on, on uh, Saturday night. Kind of sad that that's the nightcap. I think I would have rather seen the Seattle one be the nightcap personally, but or even the yeah. Buffalo game. But It would almost make more sense of the West Coast too. But I know. We digress. <laughs> um, then you move to Sunday. Sunday first slot, which is the Titans and Ravens round. You know, here we go again. Second year in a row, they're uh, matched up in the playoffs. And the Titans are actually a underdog at home. I cannot wait for this game. I think it. I think it's going to be the best one of the whole wild card slate. I think you got two of the most exciting players in the NFL between Lamar Jackson, Derrick Henry, leading their offenses. Essentially, um, I do think that the Ravens are going to win. Uh, that being said, I think they're going to have a little bit of uh, red. You know what? Going into this game after what happened last year, um, <laughs> but. They've been hot this year. Their defense is phenomenal. They, I think they're going to find a way to neutralize Derrick Henry and put the ball in Ryan Tannehill's hand, and they'll be able to put up points on Tennessee's defense. So I think the Ravens are going to get them this time. Uh, last six times these teams have met, the away team has won. So there's a tidbit for the, for the Ravens. <laughs> I told you, I came, I came prepared tonight with my stats. Um, but... It, is, this is an interesting one um, because obviously the Titans have won. They won last year. They killed them last year in the playoffs. 
And then they won again earlier this year when they played. So they've won the last two times they've played Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson hasn't won a playoff game in his two starts. So you got kind of trends going both ways. I think the Titans get it done. Um, I, I'm going to have to see Lamar prove it to me in the playoffs and win it. Both teams are rolling. I think the Ravens are rolling better than the Titans are right now. Uh, they're arguably the second hottest team in the AFC behind the, the bills, but I, I'm personally, mm-hmm. I need to see Lamar Jackson prove it to me in the playoffs before I'm going to ride on him. So I'm going to prove I'm going to ride the Titans this week. Maybe it's a little home team bias. I don't know. My friends might kill me if I pick the Ravens, but no, I, I, I do think the I do think the Titans find a way to squeak it out. Uh, it, it's going to, I agree with you. This is probably the one that I'm most excited for. Yeah, this is just going to be, it's going to be a great game. I'd be surprised if it it's lopsided one way or the other. Yeah, it should be. I mean, you got two great coaches, two great offenses, two pretty solid defenses. The only way it does um, well, is if Titans you get a little washy on defense, but well, the best part for the Titans is that, you know, they control their, the ball. Yeah. They control the ball. And the worst part of their defense is that they have no pass rush. Well, Lamar Jackson doesn't pass the ball. So you're, you're sitting back <laughs> and you're, you're defending the run. So kind of works into their hands there. So yeah, that that's going to be a lot of probably a 27, 24 type of game is what I see, you know, a lot of running, not a lot of passing, probably not a lot of big plays, just to grind out a lot of runs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but definitely going to be a good game. Definitely going to be one, probably one of the slate that I, I watch from coin flip to triple zeros. But um, the next mm-hmm. game. Bears and Saints. Saints. And the Duh, Bears. Bears. And uh, the Bears are what we thought they were, as the, uh, the classic Cardinals coach rant. Uh, they uh, they don't have it on offense. They they have they have the capability to make some explosive plays, but Mitchell Trubisky is not the guy. I mean, you watched the Green Bay game; they didn't have the confidence in him to even let the ball go at all. Everything was checked down, checked down, trying to you know chip away, and that's all fine and dandy. But the Saints are too good of a team to beat like that in the playoffs, and uh, I I don't think that. The Bears defense is going to be able to stop all the weapons on the Saints. If I think Mike Thomas comes back this week, uh, the Saints sat a lot of guys this past week against the Panthers. So they're going to be rested, ready to go. And uh, I think they're going to take it to the Bears pretty hard in this one. The big question is going to be uh, obviously the running back group uh, with Kamara. Will he play um, after testing positive last week? Will anybody else in the uh, running back room be able to play? That's going to be, the, I think, the big question for the Saints. But They've lost the last two years on the last play in the of the game. Um, a lot of heartbreak there. They played the Bears really tight. They went to overtime this year uh, when they played up at Soldier Field back in November. Um, so clearly, I think you know they have a chance to hang in there. And that was back when the Saints were just about as healthy as they are now. I would say, um, and Trubisky is playing better than he was back then in that game. So. I don't know. I I'm don't. I'm not sitting here saying I'm going to pick the Bears, but I think that the Bears keep it within. I've seen it at about a ten point spread. I think it's the Bears 10. keep it. I think the Bears keep it within that. I, I think it's a one possession game at the end of the day. See, I I see it the other way. I, I think that the Steelers are going to mop them off the floor. I did Saints. see. Um, 
or excuse me, the Saints. Um, I did see that if the Saints played on Saturday, that Kamara might not be able to suit up. But since they're playing on Sunday, he'll probably be able to play. Is what gotcha. I, now, I don't know. I mean, don't quote me on that, but that is what, what I, I'm pretty yeah, sure. I, I haven't seen it yet, so I'm not going to – I can't verify that statement, but it, but it would make sense as to why they would put that on Sunday. I'm sure they probably worked with the Saints. I mean, and, and I'm – I think that's completely fair. I mean, you want to have the, you know, the best product out there. You want everybody to have the best chance of the most healthy team, but yeah. And you know, this, there's been reports that this is probably Drew Brees last season. Um, they were saying that, you know, Sunday was his last regular season game. So I would hope that his hall of fame career finishes better off than losing to the losing in bears that squeaked in because the Cardinals lost. Um, so I mean, I, I think the Saints are going to be ready to play for him, if nothing else. So I, I like the Saints in that one. I like the Saints, but I like the Bears to cover. There's my there's my pick on the game. I, like I said, I just think it's going to be close. Um, well, but, going off the f- last few weeks, then that means the Bears are going to win by a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, seriously. There's if you're you're falling, uh, trying to, you know, if you're trying to play off my picks, but. And then obviously the last game, which also has some serious COVID issues, is the Browns did win on Sunday and got in, barely, um, even with the Steelers sitting everybody, and they get another round with the Steelers. Yeah. um, That game was interesting because it was – I didn't realize going into that game that it was going to be a potential playoff matchup um, in the wild card, but – the Browns pretty much played their do-or-die game against the Steelers team who's resting Big Ben. Granted, he's pretty useless nowadays, in my opinion. <laughs> but, you know, the bigger issue is they, they were sitting their best defensive players. They had T.J. Watt on the sidelines, and they still, you know, squeaked out a, a win on them. So I, I don't think that that bodes very well for their chances against the Steelers in Heinz Field um, in the playoffs against Mike Tomlin, who I would say is in that top-tier coaches. Oh yeah, playoffs, and so I, I I like the Steelers in this one. I like them by more than the spread of six points. I'd probably put them in ten to fourteen. Yeah, it's it's it was kind of interesting that it opened up around a four. I think it was a four and a half point spread is what it opened up at, and so you you sit there and then the Browns. They, so I, for those who don't know. Kevin Stefanski, their head coach, tested positive today for COVID. The Browns have had COVID issues the last three weeks, um, and it's still stemming over into this week. So they lose. So Stefanski won't be coaching. Two players have tested positive and two other coaches. They haven't named them. So their facility is closed again, so they won't be practicing today or tomorrow, I would assume. And so it's one of those weird – at, you know, it's about the worst case scenario you can have for the Browns. You know, you're playing your rival who you just flat out can't beat. You're playing him at their place. They haven't won in Pittsburgh since 2004. 17 straight losses at Pittsburgh. You finally make the playoffs and you basically get a David versus Goliath moment of Browns without their head coach, without, you know, whoever these other players are going to be. And then you have to go face you know, your worst enemy. So I think you're right. I think the Steelers are going to have enough to get it done. If there's a team that they want to play, 
it probably would be the Steelers. Obviously, they've really, really sucked down the stretch this year. Um, as we alluded to on this podcast a lot, they struggled a lot, but yeah, that, that's kind of my, my opinion on it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. honestly, I, to your point, it's like almost am I crazy to think that the Steelers are probably the best draw that they could have gotten in the AFC. Weirdly enough, it is. I think just because of if there's a team to beat, it's them, especially in the situation that they are. I think they're the weakest team that they would have had to play in the first round. Uh, for mm-hmm. having to go on the road at, at, you know, comparative to obviously Tennessee, Buffalo and, um, and Steelers, Steelers are probably the best one out of those three. So. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's, it's funny how that works out like that, but I mean, the Steelers are beatable if everything goes right for the Browns, I'm not saying they aren't because when they've played, when they've played bad, they've looked really bad. They've looked like not even a playoff team bad in a lot of their games this year. And if Big Ben has one of those classic days where he doesn't remember how to play the quarterback <laughs> position, I mean they're they're a very beatable team. So we'll I see. Think I mean, it would be it's gonna take it's gonna take Baker looking like he did against the Titans. And yeah, I mean, have I to think light the field on fire. It's gonna take that type of performance to win. It's doable for him, but it's gonna take Baker's best game of his career, I think. And then you know, go out maybe. Hey, Ohio State shocked the world pretty much against Clemson. See if another Ohio team can do it. Shocked you, didn't shock me. Hey, well, shocked <laughs> a lot of people. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that kind of covers uh, the the NFL side. Um, it's it, like we said, should be a fantastic weekend. Um, and as we're recording this, we can we can go ahead and do this little tidbit before we wrap up here tonight. Um, Devonte Smith has, like we predicted, won the Heisman. So happy to see a non-quarterback first wide receiver since 91, I believe, um, with Desmond Howard. Desmond Howard, yep. Um, completely deserving. The guy has been the, he's been an absolute rock for that offense, especially since Waddle went down. The crazy thing is you look at it and Waddle's, Waddle was kind of, if you, there was not, you know, Waddle was the guy coming into the year for the wide receivers. He was there, if you had to say a wide receiver was going to be up for the Heisman, it was Waddle. And he gets hurt against Tennessee, and ever since then, Smith has just gone to a different universe. Yeah, I mean, there was – if you look at it, I mean, he maybe deservingly, maybe unso – or this was kind of his come out year. He was the second wide receiver on their depth chart. And uh, Waddle goes down. He took a bigger role in the offense, and that dude has got to be the most explosive player that I've seen in college football. And, I mean, he, he pretty much – walked around Notre Dame's defense, which, you know, they lack some speed on the edges, but still a good defense. And that guy is just, he's impressive. He's going to, he's going to be a good pickup for whoever he, whoever takes him in the NFL. And, you know, there's the argument of is Waddle better than him or Devontae Smith. I, you know, I, I still think Devontae, I still like Devontae Smith over Waddle. I understand the counter argument, but that guy's incredible. He's absolutely deserving of the Heisman. He was the best player in college football this year. Oh, no doubt. He was incredible. Um, deserves everything. He goes through a lot of work. I mean, think about it. That guy, um, even after Waddle got hurt on a kick, it was the opening kickoff against Tennessee. And Smith still took takes punts for the rest of the year. I mean, that just, I think, speaks to who he is as a competitor. Um 
he probably could have asked to, you know, he sees his buddy go down and he still goes out there and tries to do everything he can to help his, his team on special teams, which you like to see. Yeah. And what makes him unique, because a lot of speed receivers they lack in other areas is he's got phenomenal hands. He runs incredible routes and he is lightning fast. And he's just a smart football player. too. His route running is, is unbelievable for how being a college player, how well he runs his routes. And like you were just saying there, the, the football intelligence, I mean, seeing some of the, how well he reads the defense to know where to move on a, on a route to get himself open, especially like finding holes in the zone, what he does, it, it's uncanny. Yeah. He he's in the college ranks. He's virtually unguardable and Ohio state will have their hands full big time with him. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. He'll be a, he'll be a top, I probably guess top 10 pick after winning the Heisman. Um, probably the first, I would, assume. I would assume being the first wide receiver drafted over uh, in the, in the draft. So he'll, he will be great in the NFL. In my opinion, I think he'll be kind of a, a good comp to a, another Alabama receiver and a Calvin Ridley type receiver. Um, you know, he's not your big, tall dominant number one in that sense, but he's lightning fast can really, you know, stretch you deep. Uh, I think that's kind of a good comp for him. So we'll see where where he ends yep. up. He is like that Calvin Ridley, AJ Green sort of body style. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and they've had success. I mean, AJ Green is one of the best players in the NFL until he he started getting riddled with injuries. So the formula works, no doubt. And that's uh, that's about <laughs> all I have. Um, college basketball is a lot of a lot of parody. Um, I think it's pretty clear Gonzaga's number one, Baylor's number two, and then there's a whole slew of teams, kind of probably three through 10, 11, 12, that are about the same, and it really kind of depends on the night. So a lot of teams are still finding their way. I think that goes goes back to you know not a lot of practice time, and now we're getting into conference play, which we're really going to learn a lot over the next month on these teams um, as we go forward. And then what's also nice is that we get golf back this week. Century Tournament of Champions out in Hawaii. Looking forward to watching that. Uh, see, s- see what see what comes out out there. Uh, when a uh, little curious to see where Bryson stands. Last, obviously, the last time we saw him was Augustus. You would see if he's still coming out and assume he'll still be bombing it everywhere. It's just a question of you know, is he has he fixed everything and gotten gotten everything tweaked up, or is it going to uh, be a little rusty? So, yeah, I mean that's always a an exciting tournament to watch because you got, you know, the best players from last season and it are, you know, the winners from last season who, you know, it's, it's a winning game. So yeah, the best players. Um, but yeah, you know, Bryson will always be in the, in the talks with what he's trying to do with the game. I think Augusta might've exposed him a little more than he liked, uh, but his, his recipe is a little interesting because he's very much a, a bomb it and see what happens. And I just wonder how long that, that's going to be sustainable before he really gets wild or he starts having a bunch of injuries because I, I just don't see anybody who swings the club that violently being able to sustain it. I mean, you look at guys like Jason day who have had that kind of quick choppy swing and he's had nothing but injuries for the past three seasons, really. So we'll it's the see. same. It's you know. the same thing in baseball. If you see a pitcher that's doing something that no one's ever done before, whether it be a pitch or a reason for it. Or, yeah, there's a reason for it. And I think it's the same way in golf. If, you know, Bryson's doing something no one's ever done before. 
it's because bodies just aren't meant to do it. So I, I don't think it'll hold up either, but we'll, we'll see how this year goes for him. And we'll, we'll have a lot we're more golf. 100 days to Augusta too. Oh, beautiful. We're, <laughs> we're, we're going to have a lot more golf talk to talk about, which I think makes both of us happy. So. Yes. Alrighty. Well that, that's about, you got any uh, closing remarks for, for our lovely listeners out there? I do actually, I, we, I kind of want to bring up this discussion because it's been, and we won't get too much into it because pretty much every other sports show has talked about it. The Notre Dame, Alabama game, Notre Dame fails to really be competitive yet again. Um, What do you think that means for the program? Are they going to be a team that's, you know, kind of starting to get left on the outs because of previous performance, or do you think it's, you know, sort of neither here or there, because my opinion personally as a fan and as a fan of sports is the teams that they've lost to in these big blowout games, Clemson, you know, in Alabama, the 2013 national title, the Clemson ACC championship this past year, and then Alabama in this game. But who has beaten those teams successfully over the past five years, other than really Ohio state? Yeah. I mean, so, that, that's kind of, I, I am not so much into this whole past history of, I know they've really struggled ever since the BCS came about. Like they've, they haven't won a power or a, a new year's six bowl. Um, and they've really struggled on this big stage. But it, if you look at it, you're right. They're, they're losing to teams that are just great teams. I mean, it's not like they're, it's not like they're losing to a bad team. You're losing the national championship game. Yeah. You're losing to a historically good Alabama team, historically good Clemson teams. They beat a really good Clemson team this year at home. COVID issues or not, they still beat them. They played Georgia fantastic both times at home and at Georgia when they played Georgia. Uh, I mean, it's not like they aren't competing against top programs. It's just, they're losing, losing in the big game, I think to just better coaches with better players. So I, I don't put too much into it. I think that it's still going to be a season by season basis of, you know, Notre Dame can still win big games. Notre Dame can still get themselves into the discussion um, of getting into a playoff. But if it's not, it's hard to not look at it though. And, and start to question it. I must say yeah. it's hard not to. I agree, but they were the first team in two years to hold Alabama under 35 points. I mean, grant, you know, Bama for most of the second half was kind of running out the clock, but they executed their game plan phenomenally. They wanted to have these long sustaining drives and keep Alabama's offense off the field, which frankly they managed to do. It just, it wasn't enough. They don't have the talent yet. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved, I loved the game plan. Keep the ball away from them. They can't score if they don't have the ball and it worked for them. Um, now it didn't work to win, but it worked to keep it closer than a, if they got into a blowout and tried to go and go to, or, you know, blow for blow and put up 40, it would have gotten ugly. It was never really going to happen. Yeah, exactly. They couldn't do that. So I think that that was their only chance was winning a, winning a 31, 28 type of game. Um, Cause you're not going to hold Bama to, to anything. They're holding them to 30 was a, was an accomplishment. Yeah, no, I agree. I just wanted that little, little tidbit to get in there before we, we signed off. But um, other than that, I mean, the other interesting news was the uh, Mississippi state Tulsa brawl, which you know, 
Yeah. <laughs> that was I I can't think of a worse look for uh, the Mississippi State program than that. God, to, that uh, kick a player in the head after the game was over and you won. The worst um, was not even that. It was the idiots in the locker room afterwards live streaming it on their Instagram basically going through the video blow by blow and like celebrating the fight. That was yeah. just, uh, I mean, go ahead and, you know, you're just pouring gasoline on the fire at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, not a good look. Idiots. Um, oh yeah. Also Tom Herman got fired. We, we didn't talk about that. Um, <laughs> wow. That was a big, <laughs> big miss there on our part. Um, hey, we're getting in now guys. Uh, yeah. So Tom Herman was fired from Texas even after the vote of confidence. Um, and Steve Sarkeesian was hired literally an hour later, I think, something like that. It was pretty quick. Right, obviously, they fired Herman once they had Sark in the boat already, which is the right way to do it in that situation. Um, I don't know if Sark is an improvement on Herman or not. I know people in Texas are happy to have Herman out. They just wanted a change, but I just I still don't know if this is going to be a true upgrade. Yeah, I mean they're they're very much one and the same. They're offensive coordinators who learned under one of the best coaches in college football history. Yep. And um, Sark had his run at USC. It was, you know, okay, very underwhelming, I would say. And he was a pretty big hire when he went there. But um, what I heard about Tom Herman was that the players just didn't like him. They didn't like playing for him. So I think Texas saw the the writing on the wall there and just need to get him out. And if they could land somebody like Sarkeesian, then it was worth getting cutting ties with Herman as soon as possible. So unlike Auburn, they handled the situation, how you would expect a top tier program to do so. Exactly. You fire your guy. When you have such a proven track record with your head coach, I mean, has it been proven great? No, but you know, Texas was willing to ride with Herman another year, I think, but if they, they got their guy, they got him signed up and he was ready to go. And so at that point you go ahead and you, you pull the trigger on the move. Um, it'll be interesting to see where Herman lands in the future. The coaching carousel continues to, to swirl. And I always find it extremely interesting to see how things play out, but yeah, it's uh it was a surprise. I think he'll get picked up somewhere as a, as a coordinator. I don't know if he's going to go right back into being a head coach after what happened at Texas. It was just, it's a hard place to win. It was Sark the best of luck. I mean, let's, let's give a shout out to Saban, basically running a coaching rehab center down there in Tuscaloosa. (laughs) I mean, it's what it seems like it's been now for the last four or five years. He brings in guys that are these, you know, deserve a second chance and a Kiffin and Sark and, now he's looking at Bill O'Brien and Adam Gase from the NFL, trying to bring them in. And it's, it's basically what he's doing. He's like rebuilding these guys' career, sending them down there, co- coaching the coach up, and then they're going on with their life. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I never thought of it that way, but that's true. It's what, it, what it's been down there. It's, it's kind, of a, kind of a cool thing he's doing. Um, I don't know. I find it cool. Yeah, I mean, no, that's interesting. That's an interesting little – another tidbit. <laughs> there's, there's your word for the night. Your, the, the word of the day today was tidbit, folks. So 
Alrighty. I think that uh, actually does wrap up all the news though. So we're, we'll uh, keep you guys updated, come out next week with, with some great uh, talk about what happens in the NFL playoffs. Hopefully have the national championship game to talk about um, next week. I hope fingers crossed that everything on the COVID front stays good. And uh, we'll have that game on Monday night. We'll be able to have a quick reaction to that on Tuesday for you guys. So. Hope you guys all have a great rest of your week. Remember to like, subscribe, review, rate, do it all. We we need everything we can get. So we appreciate we appreciate all the listens. So it's uh it's really in, this is a lot of fun for us. Yep. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, everyone. Have a great rest of your week. <laughs>